Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and plot theories. You can follow The Story Tinker on all podcast platforms and videos of most episodes on YouTube. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like weekly bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Purple Hyacinth. And today we have Bundan, Fu, and we have someone new, Fire Dancer. And you can say hi. Hi, uh, I'm Fire Dancer. I am, uh, I'm in the PH Discord server, and I've been reading Purple Hyacinth for over a year now. So excited to be here because I have a lot of thoughts. So. <laughs> yes, I think anyone that comes on the podcast has a lot of thoughts. <laughs> okay, well, um, episode five is called Rogue Rebel, and we open up with a starry night, and this has happened right after um, the assassin and Lauren have had their encounter, and the assassin has offered Lauren his deal, and Lauren has just found out that it is the Purple Hyacinth, and now we have a kind of like ramshackle neighborhood. It looks run, it looks kind of like, you know, there's like porches that are patched together and like kind of like improvised housing-ish and we see a wanted sign of a um, very not attractive man I would say wanted dead or alive so if this is supposed to be the purple hyacinth this drawing is not that great (laughs) and then we have an image of a bar and people sitting at the bar and some people sitting and talking to each other one guy smoking a cigar says I know some guys uh, my guys robbed some noble, uh, some idiot nobles yesterday, like stealing from infants. So we learn from here, uh, and they'll cry as much too, and then they're laughing. So these people are A, thieves, B, um, have something against nobles, C, don't think highly of nobles, think that they're like foolish, naive crybabies, and not very capable, and are bragging about it. So this is what, and while they're playing, uh, while they're doing some gambling. And he says, shrieking like stuck pigs whenever they see a knife. So again, using violence as well, learning about this, these people, they look like they were going to piss themselves. Um, there, uh, there's a guy there who looks very drunk. He's drinking. His eyes are all um, like blacked out. And they're just laughing, enjoying themselves <laughs> and bragging about their crimes. <laughs> and then we it's have interesting someone. seeing... Um how this is apparently how the Phantom Scythe operates. Like this is this, yeah. some of the things that they get involved with. And it's, and you think like from like their, their mission statement, you'd think they'd be a bit more serious. And these guys just like laughing and joking about committing all these crimes and stuff. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And about petty theft too. It's like, um, I don't think, you know, and, and where's the money going? I mean, I don't think it's going to some noble cause, which is again, like a very typical, we're going to learn more about with the Phantom Scythe and, and its ideals and how it started, but it's very normal for an organization to have lofty ideals. And for many people who get, get involved for like selfish purposes and, you know, bring that down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have someone stepping in, wonder who that could be. <laughs> and the cigar blower is continuing to brag. And he says, then they go cry to the cops, like the cops can do anything. Just another pen of squealing pigs. So again, we learn from here that they also, they have a low opinion of nobles and they have a low opinion of cops. And the cops in their eyes, at least, are considered ineffic- inefficient and incapable. 
So whether or not that corresponds to reality, we're gonna learn a little bit more, but at least in their eyes, they don't think that the cops can do much. And again, more laughing, this, the mysterious step. And again, this is like this, Soph and F do this great buildup of this character walking in, you know, first you see the steps and then you see another step. And it's just, you know, you don't know who it is yet, but you get the impression that this person is important just by how they're striding in and the emphasis placed on that. And the guy with smoking the cigar, again, is laughing, picks up the knife, but then he has this look of fear on his face. And we see who the person that has been walking in is. It is none other than our a boy. idea boy. Yeah, <laughs> our beautiful assassin. And he, we have this lovely side shot of him. Again, his collar is upturned. He looks very mysterious, brooding. And he looks a little bit um, somber here as well, as though he's thinking something over. It wouldn't surprise me. Pensive, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or brooding. Hmm. Yep. And the guy, um, the, the cigar guy, who a second ago was so braggadocious, now is like, oh shit, it's the PH. And he like kind of covers this stuff that he was gambling with, but I don't know what the point of that would be. And then he's maybe just taking in what he won. Be like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. So I'm not sure if any of us have seen this before, but mm -hmm. on the guy closest to us, like the one not facing us, the one looking at his cards, mm -hmm. the king card is has a slash over the neck and oh. has the eyes crossed out. Oh, shit. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Oh, that's so cool. I'm that's not sure if anyone has pointed that out before. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that on my reread. It was the I wonder king card, like, very prominent. I wonder if that's like standard issue, like Purple Hyacinth cards, or whenever they get card, not Purple Hyacinth, sorry, Phantom Scythe cards. Whenever they get cards, they just cross out anything with the monarchy. <laughs> I feel like petty I, like that. That would, be, that would be the pettiest thing ever. And I. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's custom because no manufacturer would want to do that. Yeah. I'm just picturing a guy who's like an intern at the Phantom Size, and his job is to go through all the decks of cards and just <laughs> with a red sharpie and just scratch it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. That, would be, that is hilarious. And it's like, you know, this is their great movement. It's like, we accomplish great things. <laughs> there are two sides to the Phantom Scythe. <laughs> One being the organized crime lord. The other, petty petty fools it's <laughs> <laughs> hmm, hilarious and then we get another close-up of the assassin walking in again with those brooding as you said pensive eyes <laughs> another great parallel between our two leads and he does not look like he's um, paying attention to his surroundings but we will soon learn he actually is the the um Car players say, keep your voice low. This guy's dangerous. He's the deadliest of all of us. I'm surprised those guys are deadly, by the way, but whatever. So. <laughs> they like to think they are. <laughs> we let yeah. them think that. And they're like, yeah, I heard the man's a freak. He has more kills than anyone else in the PS combined. So that's quite a reputation to have. It, whether it's true or not, which, you know, maybe these guys are not like privy to the best statistical information. That's the reputation he has. So this assassin is serious business. Mm -hmm. No one has ever had the guts to do what he's done before. He's a demon sent straight from hell. So we know that 
Lauren and her crew think of him as a monster and a scumbag, but even within the Phantom Scythe, he's referred to as a demon. So this is a heavy reputation to be walking around with. If we're going to talk about how he feels um, about himself and what his self-perception is, I mean, everybody thinks he's a monster. Mm-hmm. And it, and another thing from what they're saying, um, it seems just he's very mysteri- mysterious, even in his own organization, he's kind of like, I guess, say in the shadows and a bit of an outcast, just kind of, I don't, mm, I don't want to say that. The fact people know his identity, I find a little bit odd because mm. it is like any of them, if any of them were caught by the police and asked if who the purple hyacinth was, they could rat out the literal purple hyacinth to the police in exchange mm. for like a lighter sentence or even freedom. And seeing who these people are I wouldn't put it past them so the fact that Karen's identity is so open is a bit like a bit of a yikes I think that just goes to show like the power that his persona has to the point where it's like they know that if he gets captured he will escape Mm -hmm. that not only he but the organization will probably come after them and have them killed no matter what because like yeah. we said, they think that the police are a joke. Why would they take mm. that? Why would they go into the police's protection when they know the power of the phantom scythe? True. Plus, also, um, oh, no. sorry, you go. Uh, no, sorry, you go. Okay. Um, it also just goes to say, like, with the reputation he, he has throughout the phantom scythe, it just, I think maybe they're very fearful of him, or it's just like, he has the most kills of anyone. He is... Like, they think he's a demon. Why wouldn't he be able to say if they did rat him out, just walk straight into the police station and kill them without being noticed? That's probably something he could do. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) And meanwhile, the super drunk guy who is, like, hiccuping and red in the face, he's like, he can't be that bad. I mean, have any of you ever seen him before? And the other guys are like, a few times, he's probably here to report a new kill. <clears throat> and then, of course, the drunk guy is, I bet he's all bark and no bite. He's Leader's favorite little pet, his personal attack dog. <laughs> Which, um, I don't know if you if you guys read Bandit Poppyland. That's literally like the words that are used to talk about Torah as well. And I'm, one of the things I want to do is make a video comparing them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really funny because it's there's a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. So, again, we learn from here that this is, you know, he is like a very prized possession for the leader which is, again, super ironic considering that he wants to take him down. It also, it also one thing, they compare him to a pet and a dog, so they just think he's on a leash. He's like a, a rabid thing, just kept under control by the leader. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Right. He's not perceived as human. Yeah. A lot of people don't perceive him as human, apparently. Oh, and I find the pet analogy is very interesting (laughs) the thing i want to point out earlier was that the comment that he's a demon sent straight from hell implies that these three guys think themselves better than him and that is a logical conclusion because although they are both part of the phantom scythe and although they both have and are committing crimes um, these guys are technically stealing from the rich, meaning less people get hurt, whereas Kieran is 
literally killing them. Mm-hmm. And so they probably view themselves on a moral high ground because taking someone's life is worse than stealing from them. And because they are nobles that the guys are stealing from, the consequences of their actions are less drastic. Whereas, like, if you stole from someone rich versus someone poor, the person after that is going to be differently well off depending on how much money was stolen and like if you still I don't know a thousand bucks from a rich person versus a thousand bucks from a poor person it might cripple the poor person but the rich person will be completely well off and still fine so but if you took the life of either they'd be if you took um they'd be the same off dead so these guys think themselves better of him because right. they aren't taking someone's life so they so they probably find that the act of killing someone is still despicable even though they are in the phantom side mm-hmm. and i get the impression also that the way in which he kills people is pretty horrific as well i don't i get the sense it's not just quick and painless i mean i'm curious because we'll we'll see some images throughout the cartoon but at least from here it sounds as though the way that he does it is also gross. So, drunk guy continues and he's like, he thinks he's above us common gutter snipes. Um, isn't the whole point of this to be beyond that? So, he does refer to the mission of the Phantom Scythe. And we already see from here, like, he has this resentment. You know, he feels like there's hierarchy within the Phantom Scythe, which, like, you know, duh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> but, you know, he, he feels upset that he's not they're not getting what he was promised in a way. Yeah, but also, since we did point it out before, he like he thinks that the assassin thinks that he's better than them, but they already think they have a more of a moral high ground than he does. So it's just kind of weirdly hypocritical. Yeah, and I mean, obviously they also have no respect for the police and for the nobles, so they're also like not exactly the most humble of people either so also it's in their head like he hasn't said anything he's just Mm -hmm. walking around I doubt he's ever communicated with them ever Um, and when people feel inferior and when they feel bad about themselves they project that other people look down at them when most often it's in their heads so it's just like a sign of low self-esteem I also find it funny how this is the moment he brings they bring up the mission statement of like the organization like for the first time last time they were just doing it seemed like they were just doing it because it's fun but only when they feel kind of threatened in their position by the purple hyacinth do they begin to be like no we're supposed to be like brotherhood and like going above the monarchy and and no stratification of society and all that stuff so again like fire said it's very hypocritical of them and it you could just feel the insecurity yep so much so that now drunk guy does something not very smart because he's drunk and he slams <laughs> the bottle of wine down and then he sl- picks up the um a dagger and he says hello oi, why don't you come say hello to your comrades and again comrade is a communist term so i'm pretty much assuming that sofan have to use it intentionally and communism is supposed to be about um, everyone being equal and obviously it did not end very well. So it's probably a direct reference. And he's like, huh, bastard. And he throws the dagger right past the assassin's 
face, like almost hitting him. But what does our darling do? <laughs> catches it in midair. Yeah, he just catches it between his two fingers effortlessly without moving, without turning, and turns it around, just glares. I mean, the, the, the art is gorgeous. You just see his like- I love the movement of that scene. You can like, feel him like the way it, flipping it around in his hands and throwing it. Like, and then, and then just, you can feel the ice in his stare, just the complete and utter disdain for these people already. Yep. And meanwhile, right, you, when we saw him walking in, you don't notice that he's paying attention, right? He's, he seems to be wrapped up in his own thoughts, but he is always paying attention to his surroundings um, to the extent that he just effortlessly caught it, turned it around, icily glared at them, like you said. And it lands like smack on the middle of the table, disrupting their, their gambling thing. Super intimidating. And they're all like, <laughs> the whole bar is now just like, ooh. Yeah. And then one of them is just like slams the drunk guy's head down on, on the table. And he's like, our deepest apologies, sir. This piece of shit is very drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. And Kieran gives the, that classic smirk and he's like oh and they're just staring at him in mortal fear and he's like maybe next time i'll drop by to report your deaths comrades mm. oh boy oh, he's a piece of shit i love him <laughs> very cocky very intimidating and while he continues out the, the the cigar guy like grabs the drunk guy by the by the his collar and he's like hey don't piss off ph do you have a death wish <laughs> So, yeah, he is very good at intimidating people. Oh, yeah. And he's also obviously skillful, attentive, has quick, uh, quick reactions, and um, good aim as well. <laughs> now, so he's headed back to, um, he goes past, he walks past the bar. So it looks like he's walking to the back of this, this bar place. And now everything is dark. It looks like some kind of storage room. There's crates over there and barrels. And he's stepping through. There's like some, there's still some light from the bar hitting him, but the, where he's going in is there is not a lot of light. And he's walking past these bars. And you see him looking through, there's bars and then there's a chair there with chains all over it. They're rusty. It looks like probably bloody chains. Ugh. And there is a flashback and we aren't quite clear about what's happening, but it's, there's a scream arg. Looks like there's someone on the chair. There's blood. Doesn't look like a very positive scene over there. <laughs> a while back, I brightened a screenshot of this panel and from what it looked like, it was like a human torso and then Mm -hmm. some legs at the bottom and it was very much like sort of a fisheye view the head was cut off and we don't really see it here but there were the chains are around the torso yeah and then from what you can see if you brighten the picture it's kind of you see his whoever's in the chair their shirt is cut like by the shoulder and there's like a bloody gash there and then there's like blood all over their torso and then blood in the chair like in between their legs their and arms then, are tied back. Yeah, and their arms are tied. Ugh, it's just horrible looking at this. Oh, so, 
it's pretty clear he's having a flashback of some sorts um, and he's looking at the chair again. We see a picture of his eyes staring at the chair and then he turns away and he has even more of a grimace on his face than he has before. You know, Kieran tends to have, he tends to have a serious face or a lot of people really tend to have a serious face here. Um, but we can assume that that's a memory of his, either of himself sitting in the chair or somebody that he knew sitting in that chair and him watching him or her, probably him. But it's pretty vivid. And this is like our first introduction to a potentially graphic tortured past, which is not surprising again, because that's something that we've come to know as readers as a story. But we um, kind of are, are glimpsed at like a sympathetic background for him. It plants the seed of stuff that we've already maybe come to maybe what is the word I'm looking for it's something that we could have kind of figured out just from the the character himself but like like we see this guy it's like oh this guy did not have the best upbringing probably in terms of like you know happiness and and security you know and if he ended up here so seeing this stuff just kind of for the reader anyways it confirms a lot of the suspicions that they might have had about his life and does give you an instant like dash of sympathy or at least understanding to see and, and curiosity about his life. So yeah, I think it's really cool to just give that little tidbit and then move on. Yeah, and if you think about it, the fact that you know he said that he has to come here and report his kills. So it seems like he's here on a somewhat frequent basis and he has to walk past that chair all the time. Probably not mm. the best mm. thing for him. Think of that. Um. It's, it's probably been a while though, because the police were talking about how he hasn't been, and he hasn't been like spotted in a while, or like none of his kills have been found lately. So it's probably been a couple or several months since he last saw this room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he walks to this door. Um, it looks like it has a high window on the top. He creaks it open, he steps through, and we see a person with a, um, wearing, you know, looks like male clothes, cravat, a coat, and a top hat, but wearing this bird face, which is, what was that? Um, was that the one people used to wear when they had? Plague Dr. Matt. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) And (laughs) it's, uh messenger the fourth messenger phantom scythe that's the the title that we get for this person and we don't even see this person's eyes because they're like behind this screen so they clearly keep their identities hidden and the assassin reports the target robert de la roca and rosa grayson were eliminated tonight um i bought the documents the leader wanted me to retrieve he flips inside his code he gets it the shirt is still open by the way <laughs> As suspected, they were both working for the police trying to infiltrate the phantom scythe, and he throws the documents on the table. Not too gracefully, by the way, they kind of spread all over. <laughs> so it's a little bit of an ir- irreverential move, which I'm not surprised at, because, you know, whether or not other people think he's the attack dog, he certainly doesn't like to be treated like one. He has this very independent streak, and it doesn't act subservient. <laughs> You know, I think it's really interesting seeing his reactions with the messenger here. How I also think it's cool how he's not just 
there to kill. He's there to gather evidence. So you see him. He's, he wasn't just sent there to, like, he, while he was there, he killed these people, went, dug through their stuff, found these incriminating documents, then left, went to the next person, did the exact same thing. So it's interesting. And still managed to escape. Mm-hmm. And because of the way that he presents the papers to the messenger, it kind of gives the idea that um, this man does not respect this messenger very much either. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he says they were careless enough <clears throat> to leave evidence behind. The messenger asks anything else to report. And, you know, we know what he could be reporting. He, he just says, Grayson's maid alerted the police. They arrived while I was finishing my second task. So he says things that, you know, that is going to be known, right? It's not going to be hidden. He has to report that. And he says, but as always, they were too slow. And he has that smirk on his face again, because <laughs> clearly nobody has ever been able to catch him. And the messenger says, it's not like you to be taken by surprise like that. I hope you weren't seen. Threat, threat. You know, it's like this very veiled threat. And he just gives this big smile. It's like, of course not. And if Lauren were here, we would be able to see the lie in that. Mm -hmm. I love how you can see the lie in a way with how he is. Because obviously this this puts into our head as well that this cockiness is also a mask because he just threw this on. Like, of course not. And it's just, we know obviously that it wasn't so it does subconsciously associate like associate for us him being extra cocky with him covering up stuff so mm-hmm. really great imagery also just to focus on his smile and not his eyes because obviously his eyes would tell more information and tell us more about how he's feeling than his face but yeah just the literal mask that of his smile is mm-hmm. is something that he uses to help mask his own personal um, vendettas. When he was talking to Lauren, he, when he got serious, he didn't smile at all. And he was actually talking to her very seriously about like his, his goals and what he wants them to do. But like when he was joking around, yeah, this, the, the smirk comes out. So yeah, I really like the use of this just shot of his mouth to communicate to us so many different things. Mm-hmm. And then it also establishes for the readers, it establishes the fact that when Lauren is not there, no lies are seen. Mm-hmm. So, Why yeah. are not you taking my talking point? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, for We're of one mind. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder how perceptive this messenger is because, you know, we see it, we're the readers. Um, I think if he has a brain, he kind of would notice, but... We don't know. We don't know how clever or how aware he is of how well he can read the assassin. So he says, well, no matter, you carried out your work as her order as always. So from here, we know like he always carries out his work. And we do learn throughout the comic like that. It's very important that he keeps doing this, that he always carries out the orders. And, um, you know, at that, like his face, oh, <laughs> so hard to do these memories. <laughs> You know, when at the mention of like, you always carry out your orders, Kieran's smile disappears. And he has, again, this sort of grimace on his face. And we black out to a memory. And we see a wand man on the floor, kind of like kneeling, looking up at, at the assassin. And he says, you. And he has this big wide-eyed face. And he says, you were that boy. <sighs> and then there's this red slash. And it seems that, you know, the assassin Kieran is killing this man. 
and you see that same face, it's actually a very similar image to that image that we just had as he's remembering, like in the present, the same like bottom cheek and the, the face mm -hmm. uh, of him looking down with a very kind of resolute look on his face. You don't see his eyes, but his mouth is set. So it mm -hmm. seems as though we can read, even without knowing much, we can read as though this is something he set out to do and felt forced to do. Um, he doesn't have this gleeful expression on his face. It's a very somber expression. And it seems as though he just forced himself to do it because he had to. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, we can assume he's harking back to that this was an order that he had to fulfill. Mm -hmm. And it also um, says that since he flashed back to this when um, it said you carried out your orders as always, it just kind of establishes that this was a very important kill to him, be it either he knew this person or um, just kind of maybe was his first kill or something, we don't know, but it's just a very important one to him that he will constantly remember. My dumbass when I first read this one, I didn't realize that that was like a flashback, flashback. I thought it was the guy that just got murdered in the previous one. And it, it was only when I joined the server and we were talking about it, it was like, oh, it's a different guy. <laughs> So I'm glad that we're discussing it now for anyone who might not have been super clear on that like me. Now you know. He also looks a lot younger in this flashback. Um, his hair isn't tied back. Mm -hmm. So it's like not as long. And then his shirt is different. It's There's a small button at the top instead of the full-on chest gate. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's a yeah. bit of change in costume. If that does tell us that it was some time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. We know canonically, I don't think this is a spoiler, that he's 24. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, could have been years back. Yeah, yeah. So he's pretty young for the reputation that he has. Yeah, because it's been, I think by this point, it's been established he's been an assassin for seven years now. And mm -hmm. it's since then it would be the earliest he would have started would have been 17. So it's, oh, <laughs> oh the pain, the pain. Yeah. And, you know, the, even the, the little, whatever the, the images that Sokanef used to convey the flashback, it's this black, like kind of grid line and it looks like it's shattering to pieces. So it, to me, it feels like this is representative of his world shattering apart for him. It's a very traumatic kind of memory. Um, it's not like a Rose's flashback or even the neutral flashback, but it's a very negative um, filled flashback, a very chaotic, stressful looking um, flashback imagery that's used. One and of the things, that, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I know, because I was saying like, one of the things that they use to, as the transition to the flashback, like that breaking thing, are these black petals, which we could maybe assume are eyes and petals. And they're not purple, they're black. So something, I don't know, it's just interesting imagery used that I think we can get a lot from, especially as we get more information about him and his life. Right. Mm -hmm. So even if they're meant to convey the petals in his mind, those petals have turned black, even if they were purple originally, because he just associates it with darkness and negativity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in present, he says, you know, after he finishes thinking of this, he says, yes, as always, right? So presumably he's been thinking about that order. 
And uh, the messenger says, the leader will be pleased to hear about this. And now he says, seemingly out of the blue, like this is, you know, not something that should be necessary. He says, also a word of advice, try not to upset him. You may be the purple hyacinth, but he's still watching you. So that's a threat. And you have to wonder why did he say that now? Like what happened to make him say that? Mm-hmm. It's the, it kind of maybe could mean that he may have messed up in the past and gotten punished for it, which if he did get punished for it, could um, go back to the chair in the previous room. So it just also establishes that uh, Hand of Size is not kind to mess ups. (laughs) And then it seems whatever he did that maybe um, he got punished for, they're still holding it over him and it was pretty important. So he kind of, I guess, lost their trust. Yeah. Or I'm thinking, you know, and maybe he, um, maybe he did detect some untruth in what Kieran told him now, right? About the um, not getting caught. And then, or it's just a general, maybe it's suspicion of his plans in general. <laughs> Which also, if I was suspicious of my person, I wouldn't let them know I was suspicious because then they'll be more careful and hide things better. So I don't know. I don't know if this is uh, what, if that the messenger is decided that it was worth it to, to intimidate him, even if it would mean that he would now be more careful to hide his rebellion. But Kieran responds by, you know, with a smirk and is like, never crossed my mind. Of course. Totally not. <laughs> and he says, good, we'll be in contact soon. And, you know, Kieran leaves, thank you for the kind warning, comrade, comrade, again, not kind, but whatever. And as he leaves, he says, but honestly, who would be reckless enough to threaten the leader, huh? And again, that smirk on his face, it's a great closing image. <laughs> of the, the thing was, it's, it's kind of like a nod to the audience. He's literally looking at us in the panel. It's just so funny to just be like, who would do that? I wonder. And we're just like, <laughs> it was a little much, sense. you know? I wouldn't have said that if I was him, but you I know, mean, he had to be dramatic and have the last word. <laughs> I mean, what we can probably guess from this is he's probably saying that in like a serious tone. Like, who would do that? Like, but you know, as he's walking away, his back is to him. He can't see his face. So he could be saying it in the tone that is mm-hmm. like, you know, serious and like understanding of what how big a deal it would be. But mm-hmm. he's hiding his true feelings by and then but he's allowing himself to smile with his back to him, just kind of showing defiance in a way, which I love. Oh, see, my dumbass, when I read this, even until just now, I thought he turned around. <laughs> I was just smirking at him, just kind of like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so bold of you, sir. I. By the way, speaking of bold, I'm just noticing how open his shirt is. It's like almost down to his navel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah the close, that's the closest you guys are ever getting to an unbloodied like front facing perspective of Kieran's abs the closest we'll get yep (laughs) there will be no no shirtless Kieran (laughs) 
I mean, you guys did get shirtless Kira and just not in the iteration that you guys wanted. (laughs) I I mean, we got one of the iterations. We did get one. We got one. It wasn't his abs, though. No, but the back is sacred. Still was bloodied. (laughs) Sacred Jedi text. We have a joke on our server where um, I used to do this thing where every midnight I would send a picture of Kieran's back from like a later episode and people would be like, yay, or like one every time be like, one didn't send the thing. And I was, it was just so funny. I haven't done that in a while, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, they're terrible and, <laughs> and normal. And <laughs> girls, yes, what can you do? <laughs> watch yeah. in oh. disappointment mm. oh what's the note for this one yeah let's see oh yeah the note, the note I know is y'all crazy over i know y'all crazy over ph but i'm just like you're damn that pipe smoke is hot <laughs> <laughs> well we were not thinking about the pipe smoke but fine we'll pay That's attention right. to it <laughs> no i well, love the you- top comment is um with kieran being like who would be reckless enough to threaten the leader huh? and the top comment is <laughs> Yeah. Um, apparently you and Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Dude. Oh, I just wanted to say something about the um the plague doctor mask. If um <clears throat> so um this is basically just leaning into my history obsessed self, but um they wear pla- the messengers wear plague doctor masks as a way to shield their identity, but also if you try and think about why is it specifically a plague doctor mask, it, it they really had to be overkill here. But um, like I could just be very much overanalyzing. But um, like the plague doctor mask could be like if you interpret it as a symbol for the phantom scythe kind of being a plague on the city, sort of, and because. Um, it hides in the shadows. It kills like that at the drop of a hat and it leaves no survivors. So, and it doesn't, it doesn't care who it gets. And so it could be a symbol of it being like the scourge of the city. And since people are very much in fear of it, or it could mean that since they're the ones wearing the mask, it could mean that they think they are helping the city and trying to heal it. Since, like, doctors back in the day would wear this while going to see victim of, victims of the plague and try to kind of heal them of sorts. And that's really smart. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't make that connection before. That's cool. Okay. And then since it's a mask, they'd wear it while going to see them. But what they would do, they'd stick um, different types of like strong smelling plants, like flowers and stuff inside of the mask to keep themselves protected and like away from the plague. That's what they thought would be good. So it's kind of like they think they're helping, but they're also still in the shadows and protected of sorts by a certain flower <clears throat> um i don't know but yes my over analyzing spiel so, um, i think it makes a lot of sense 
This is utter crack, but a while back we had a very popular theory surrounding the messengers, apostle, and leader, and it's um, about the messengers' very specific clothing choice of three ruffles stacked on top of one another. The ruffle theory. The ruffle theory. The ruffle theory. <laughs> Rest in pieces. Rest in pieces. Okay, you guys can say it's dead, but I'm still in denial. Anyway, (laughs) said her half this. I mean, it did. Mm -hmm. Bunden, fire. It did predict some surprising reveals later on. You gotta give it. I mean, I I didn't know it was that well until after it was debunked so So, (laughs) would you like to briefly um, expand on the ruffle theory? So we see here that the messenger is wearing three ruffles, one um, each stacked on the other. And a while back, this is like late July, early August, I think, um, someone came up with a theory that the number of ruffles that a character wore um, signified their rank in the Phantom Scythe. So messengers had three ruffles apostles had two ruffles and the leader would eventually have one ruffle and then one night while I was doing research for another theory I stumbled across um just a gold mine of evidence and I just compiled it onto a doc and it kind of just set the ruffle theory into like popularity and everyone was talking about it and then at one point, we were foolish enough to ask F about clothing symbolism, and she said that there's no clothing symbolism, or at least none that we were thinking of. Oh, well. Yeah. So the she could theory. be lying, though. I mean, she could be. We can't see red text, but you know, uh, until further notice, the ruffle theory has um, been oh shot down. It's been indefinitely suspended and is currently on hiatus. <laughs> Talking about it like a show that got canceled. Oh, I know the network's gonna bring it back, guys. I have faith in Netflix. <laughs> so, guys, what else did you pick up from this theory? I know you said you prepared some notes. What are your what are other thoughts about this theory as well? This, sorry, this theory, this episode as a whole. Mm-hmm. I just think it was a very good kind of establishing the assassin's character a bit more, kind of establishes how he feels in his own organization, in his own group. And you can just see he has a lot of disdain for it and a lot of... Um, kind of pent-up feelings that he'll hide behind his mask of cockiness and it also establishes he's even feared and perceived as inhuman by his own group so good good stuff Mm -hmm. yeah I completely agree with that assessment he's definitely a standoffish loner kind of guy who works by himself he doesn't seem to be having a great social life with his coworkers. No, it's and does he even have a social life? Like, does he even talk to these people beyond what need what's needed for work? Like, it's interesting mm-hmm. to think about these things. 
honestly half the time I just want to just go up to him and just like do you have friends I I don't do you have friends because it seems like you don't bonding nights for the phantom scythe must be incredibly awkward imagine trying to do laser tag and then you end up shooting the ph like damn (laughs) you you immediately get sniped and so does your whole crew (laughs) (laughs) okay well do we have any other thoughts before we wrap up I like him. I want to see more. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling he'll be one of my favorite characters. (laughs) He's okay. Um, Later on, I want to burn him at the stake, but that's all right. That's your prerogative, man. That's that's fair. (laughs) We can't really say anything against that. We can't, you know. Like, listen, we can't say you're wrong, but... uh... (laughs) We might not necessarily agree with you, but you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> might rescue him from your burning fire. Fortunately, I don't simp for him. <laughs> so. That's okay. You can be the objective one among us. True. You can <laughs> be the one. If he ends up dying, I'll just keep on sipping my Capri Sun. <laughs> oh, no. Terrible. Capri okay. Sun, girl. Capri Sun. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can be the one who's actually not blinded by ab window here. The, the beautifulness that is the titty window. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all blinded by pity, I think. Besides for his beauty, also by pity. So. Mm-hmm. Damn. He has such a punchable face. I think we could all agree on that. I mean, yeah. You're right I, don't, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't think I want to punch it. That's just not the first thought that comes to mind. I mean, <laughs> me neither, but you know, Same. I can understand the urge. Like, I wouldn't necessarily go for his, like, punch him in the face. I'd probably kick him in the shins or in the back. <laughs> like, I'll probably do face. the thing where you just, like, you know, like, just smack the head. So, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna, yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't know. Not the door face, to break his we don't touch the face. <laughs> but if you touch his face, I will murder you. <laughs> <laughs> well fire maybe i'll just get to the both of you first instead good luck getting here good luck i shall simply materialize out of thin air i'm just like chilling one day food just like manifests there shit (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much to my current patrons Susie, Lady Lipris, Alley Cat, Chelsea, Lily, Jenny, Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe Rochelle, Dahlia, Saucy Tuggles, and Meg. Your support means so, so much.